I think sometimes if you get too caught up in what's healthy and not healthy, it just starts to turn you into, you know, potentially even like a boring singer. You know, when you hear people whose technique is so perfect, it's a bit like, okay, like, you, I feel like you, you lose that raw emotion. Yes, it's the art and the creativity and that expression, and that is what underpins it all. That's what the, you know, the beautiful part of music is. But in order for that to get from me here with that guitar song to your ears, that's a whole, you know, quantum leap between there. And trying to do all that yourself can be quite difficult. You actually, you studied um, classical singing, wasn't it? Yeah, I was. I did my master's in um, opera performance and classical music and stuff, which is, I still love it. It's absolutely gorgeous. But I had a voice injury in the middle of it, which just, I mean, that's why I ended up in this whole field, I guess. I had to do a bit of an about face. <laughs> I think you probably met me maybe at the start of that journey, less like than a, less than a year, I think, <laughs> after that happened. So it's like, yeah, like, oh, was it only, was it only a year after the the injury? Yeah. Yeah. So what happened with the injury then? Tell me about that. It was, so I didn't get any of the, it wasn't like nodules or something where you get given a diagnosis where it's like, hey, here's the lump on your vocal fold and this is what we do. It wasn't that. It was something's not working and we couldn't figure out what wasn't working. So people would hear my voice and be like, it doesn't sound like it used to sound or the vibrato is wider than it used to be for, for no discernible reason or something. And my stamina went completely like absolute gone like I would go from an entire academic day of like two hours of rehearsals and hours of practice and coaching sessions and everything absolutely fine to I could sing for maybe 15 minutes and then it was just done like for the rest of the day it was really really unhelpful except nobody knew what was wrong with me because nobody knew anything there was nowhere to send me like they knew something was wrong but they would just be like hey something's wrong and that's it. And there was no one else to ask. And it was really kind of lonely because you almost feel like it's your own fault because you've done something technically wrong that makes it sound like that. Because when they look at it and they say, I don't see anything there, so it must be in your head. The like, stigma of voice injury, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of, it's just, it's really, it's really tricky. And still at this amount of time on, I'm still not really sure what it is I'm still kind of on the on the journey of yes it probably is in my head but now it's compounded by other things because if it was initially you know a, a body it could have been anything I mean when we think about your body holistically there's so many other things happening at the time that probably contributed to it as well but then when it lasts for a certain amount of time and you don't get help then you introduce unhelpful muscular patterns that probably prolong the issue and then it's kind of you know it ends up lasting longer than you thought it would so you never actually found out the cause of what was happening? No. I mean, I've been given wow. labels. So I have, you know, the muscle tension dysphonia label. Mm-hmm. But it's, okay. Is it helpful in the, in the road to recovery? <laughs> Probably not, because I think it's quite a wide ranging umbrella that we give to voice issues that we're not really sure. So, I mean, obviously, it's still also a valid diagnosis, but sometimes you get given it because like you know an ENT might look at it and say oh well it's not this this or this so it must be this bye and it's kind of it's it's a tricky journey to go on because you're trying to figure out how you can treat it and stuff so I am working with with various people now on it but it's kind of a, a slow learning journey for myself which is very interesting for the particular field that I'm in because I can learn and make observations as I learn and hopefully help other people have slightly less of a loneliness impact on their journey in future I hope (laughs) yeah it's kind of like a really useful project to kind of like like um like uh log your own journey for for your own work and to help people that you work with going forward as well you know absolutely so who gave you the the diagnosis of muscle tension dysphonia I mean it's kind of over the years I've seen enough people that that was the kind of general consensus from 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 various people and I think they're probably right I'm, I'm guessing but it's just where you start in approaching that is kind of the, the daunting prospect like we don't for example have a multidisciplinary voice clinic here so there isn't a situation where I can walk into a clinic and say here's my complex diagnosis and let's use a really useful team to treat me uh, I could go to another country and do that which is an option but that is an option only available to you if you have enough money 
and enough time to do that, which I find epically frustrating, not because I couldn't do it, but because why should we have to do that as Irish vocalists? I mean, and everyone's, especially in Ireland, but also abroad, everyone always talks about Irish vocalists, like this incredible gift that we all have. I kind of have a little bit of a soapbox issue with people calling it a gift because we work on it a lot and it's (laughs) not a gift, Um, but that's beside the point. We have a lot, it's just built within our culture, I think, to be these kind of natural storytelling people and music is kind of woven into everything from our life from from a young age so I think we naturally produce a lot of musicians and a lot of vocalists in the country and they just don't have the kind of support that I would like them to have I would like them to have more on so many levels I, I just I was also just thinking there about what's going on at the minute with the pandemic and how pretty much no support is being given for artists in the country and um, my partner pointed out to me like you know even on our coins we have the Irish harp you know we're promoting music but yet we're not getting the look in at all and then that will have a whole um, like psychological damage on on artists going forward as well and like you know you have you'll have singers who are not getting the opportunity to, to like to sing live they're <clears throat> excuse me they're they're going to have like trauma after not being able to do what they love for a year and a half. It's really like I, we can't underestimate how much of an impact that it has. And it's it's very frustrating from my side of the screen because, I mean, I've been working with people online for the last year and a half, obviously, because we haven't been able to work in person. And I just I do get a constant stream of artists that are frustrated because they can't perform except they all understand the the safety like no one at the beginning of the pandemic was coming to a session to me and going god so frustrating everyone's overreacting i wish we could just keep performing everyone is coming and, and aware of the of the huge issue that it is but the longer that it went on and the longer that we were ignored as an industry has a huge effect on artists because not only are you not able to perform, but you're also being told by your community and by your government that you are less important than somebody who kicks a ball in a field. And like, I absolutely love sports. I'm a, I'm a huge sports fan. I can't play them at all. <laughs> I am just ghastly at like all sports. I'm so uncoordinated and terrible, but I love watching them on TV. And I did watch the, the All-Ireland the weekend. And I do find it, endlessly frustrating that they can a government you know official can attend an event like that and and celebrate an event like that while simultaneously ignoring a a whole other industry just because of what we do and then when you ask them why they're ignoring it they will say something vague along the lines of oh well there was a study that said that you know it's a super spreading of aerosols like really did you read the study did you actually read the study? Because the study didn't say that singing is more risky than a stadium full of 40,000 people shouting. No, the study said that singing and speaking are basically the same. So if you are loud speaking and you are singing, you're producing the same amount of aerosols. So where is your argument there? I just I hate when people use science as like something that they can just sit behind when they haven't even read the study properly. It's just It just goes to show how little respect and how little consideration is being shown by the government to these people and it bugs me to no end and when you mention about the coins <laughs> so it's just I mean yes they would they will I mean these are strong words for me and I'm sure I could be more polite and more diplomatic but the reality is that they will trot us out on show when it suits them so our Taoiseach will quote Irish poets and our politicians will talk about how wonderful the arts are in our country and how wonderful the culture is and how amazing our musicians are and then they will simultaneously ignore us yeah it's (laughs) it's really upsetting um what would you what advice would you give to artists and you know professional musicians who like maybe haven't gigged in a year and a half maybe gigs are starting to come in now some like wedding gigs and things like that where or anyone who's going to be getting started back when things do open up where would you tell them to start if they haven't really done much singing over the last year and a half where would they start with their vocal care their routine their practice where would you tell them to do to go absolutely you know there's so many there's there's so many bits of advice that pop up in my head when thinking about returning to returning to work as a singer I mean the first one 
that we have to face is the stamina issue because if we haven't been performing for a year and a half it's just it's kind of like you know in March 2020 if you were able to do the splits and then you didn't do the splits for like a year and a half and then you tried to just go in and do the splits straight away your muscles probably wouldn't be the happiest um you'd have to ramp up to it slowly so if you know now for example that you've been booked for a wedding in November and you know how many weeks between today and the wedding and you know how long your set's going to be at the wedding then I would incrementally build up between now and then even though you probably won't have chances to perform in front of people between now and then that often I would plan my practice out so that I'm slowly building up so if today I practice for five minutes great tomorrow I practice for five minutes then I increase it to you know seven minutes ten minutes and I slowly do it between now and then that would be the best thing that you can do in terms of vocal health is just to slowly slowly ramp back up the stamina but then there's also loads of other things like we all forget to drink water when we're chilling around at home so don't forget to drink water it's wonderful for your vocal health um sleeping is also wonderful for your vocal health things like that um but the other thing that i would say the psychological aspect of it is I, I I see from the other side of the screen and from all of my colleagues the kind of deep amount of hurt and frustration as evidenced by me even today talking about how the how how we've been treated by the community and by the government. But what I would say is that the people are on your side. It's just not necessarily that they are always represented well by the government. If only certain members of the government had more children that were working in the arts, then maybe we'd have a different outcome. Um, I'm not going to go too much on that soapbox, but eh, it's the truth. What I would say is that all of the your fellow Irish people that are attending these events, every person at that wedding really wants to hear you perform. Every single person in that room misses the fact that you haven't performed for a year and a half. You couldn't possibly ask for a more enthusiastic, friendly starving audience than you currently have in any gig that you're at I mean I think even I think I heard somebody busking <laughs> I just it just caught me off guard even even just that walking past somebody singing live that wasn't in my computer I mean I was like, god knows what they were singing <laughs> I just stopped and thought oh my goodness <laughs> just stay here and listen to them I couldn't didn't even have change to give them because who carries around change anymore um yeah everybody wants you to do well so psychologically you're in, a, you're in a pretty awesome place for your first gig back because everybody wants to hear you and everybody thinks you're fabulous. So Yeah, there's probably like, you know, it's going to be like just such an enthusiastic, um, uh, full of energy in the room, you know, it's going to, and that always makes a performing way more fun when the audience is just loving what you do and they're like really into it. And that's definitely what they'll receive when they start gigging back again. So like, you obviously got into the the whole route and, and and your interest grew from from having your a vocal injury yourself um but now you work with singers who are working in the music industry and who need um your help and who need the help of a coach so you I remember I met you at the Vocology and Practice was it in Cork or was it in England I met you I forgot now in um in Cork in 2019 yeah in Cork and at that point, you were just kind of starting your route down, like you were kind of talking about the voice care center and things like that. And at the time, I think around that time, you started fundraising uh, to go to the National Center for Voice and Speech in Salt Lake City in Utah. So maybe you could tell us a little bit, bit about that and uh, what what you learned there. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's funny because I think when I met you, I had I had just started or just accepted the idea that I might fundraise to go to this course, which anybody who's listening to this is from Ireland, please take a moment to imagine how uncomfortable it was to be like, I'm going to be someone who fundraises to help me to do something. It's so not Irish to, to, to go to cast a wider net and be like, hey, I need help. Because Irish people don't really talk about money that much and it's all a bit awkward. But I thought about it and I just did, I didn't have the savings to do it at the time. And it's something that I felt really passionately about that we were missing this area of knowledge in Ireland and specifically. So you could kind of, at the time, the, when we went to that conference in Cork, I almost died of shock when I came across the fact that that conference was in Ireland because conferences are always in, like, well, the UK is the closest, but they're usually further away. I mean, 
in America most of the time so it doesn't just cost you the money to attend the conference it also costs you your hotel stay your flights your food everything so it's a huge investment before COVID it was a huge investment to do CPD anywhere continuing professional development anywhere and often the case that I came across that there wasn't that many people coming to Ireland with that information to do workshops here I mean Cork is definitely the exception as I found out later that there were experts coming over to Cork to do workshops there which I didn't hear because I was in a different industry of training. I was in the classical and opera world who were in their own bubble. And then there's the, the CCM and music theatre world who are in their own bubble. And, and not everyone's not great at talking to each other pre-COVID, uh, particularly online. So I kind of just felt like there was this gap in Ireland. And I thought, why should we have to pay money to go to these other countries? And why aren't people coming here? And what's the story? And then I came across that course and I thought that's it I'm gonna be uncomfortable and do it anyway and raise the money so I ended up having people contribute from um all sorts of different areas of my life I think at the end it was about 54 donations that got me over to the US which included singer friends of mine who you know threw in five or ten euro which as you know as a struggling student musician is a huge amount of money like if someone who's listening to this who has lots of money might think that sounds a bit ridiculous but for a singer to say to me I believe in this thing that you want to do so much so that I'm going to give you 10 quid, which means I'm going to have to change my budget for the next two weeks is a huge deal. That doesn't go unnoticed. And that still sticks with me every day. I wake up and realize that's why I'm doing what I'm doing now is because 54 people decided to believe in me when I sounded a bit crazy. (laughs) I was like, I'm going to do this course over in America in Utah. They're like, what? Um, So yeah, then I got over to the course and I was the the first Irish person they had on the course, um, which was fun for me because it was somewhat of a novel experience for them, I think, having, having an Irish voice in the room. But it was really, really fun. I met some really amazing people over there which was great to kind of get into network being in a room full of voice geeks I'd never been in a room with that many people that cared about voice science at the same time it was like I found my happy place it was really funny I got to learn from some some of the greats as well like Ingo Tietze is the the, the, he basically designed the Suburb Ecology Institute with um, uh, a bunch of other equally amazing colleagues but to get to learn from them for two months was just I mean, an experience, I, I wonder if I will ever have another experience like that for the rest of my life. And everyone in SVI felt the same way, that the kind of, you'd wake up every day and not really be able to accept <laughs> where you were and how cool it was. But uh, in terms of what I learned, I mean, so much. I'm actually got, planning on going back to revisit my notes this summer to see if to consolidate it a bit more because it was so much information. Yeah. You kind yeah. of, you know. Sometimes it's better to go back and kind of like take it in again. And after kind of working in it as well, and like all your work last in the last year with um, uh, with your Vocology Ireland page too, everything will just kind of hopefully come together a bit more as well. You know, yeah, I'm hoping because I think I'm, I'm a strong believer in. I think when I when I met you at the conference when I was talking to people there, as I said, my goal wasn't to just go over and learn it; it was to go over and learn it and then come back and teach it obviously you don't just go over and learn something and then suddenly know everything so I went over took all my notes came back was like I'm gonna keep studying and I'm gonna start this page because not because I know all the things because I super don't know all the things but I think the best way to learn something properly is to teach it to other people and that's kind of what I tried to do when I came back now obviously the sheer amount of stuff that's covered in SVI is a bit overwhelming so like the, the first three weeks of F- SVI are going through Ingo Tietz's book Principles of Voice Production which I don't know if you've ever tried to pick that one up and read it but it's a little dense I've read like bits at a time you know I've like my post-its in it and notes yeah. taken but you it's don't sit down lot. and read it from front to back like no it's not if, if anyone's listening to this and wondering where they should start with voice science maybe don't start with principles of voice production it's just it's so dense and I remember ordering it in advance because I was a bit worried when I got into the course I said I didn't know how many other singers were at it because they said that speech therapists did it and ENTs did it and you know all these people from different backgrounds I thought well I don't want to arrive there and be like you know the thick person in the room that doesn't get anything so I tried to order the books in advance so that I could study a bit before I went there and I was really trying to study that book and I was looking at it going this is just a whole nother dimension there's lots of physics and maths in this book what's that got to do with singing and it just kind of took me a while but um 
it was great getting to learn actually the book from the person that wrote the book that was <laughs> that was pretty great and then the following two blocks were about applying the kind of information that you learned in the first block and then there were other very cool very gross days like the anatomy lab things which is probably still my favorite day of the whole course not the first day the first day was dissecting a cow larynx which like ew because I think I remember you posted like little videos and pictures and you were so excited about that I remember you posted about it you were saying you absolutely loved doing that and some people that wouldn't be the thing at all no not at all like day one in anatomy lab was was dissecting a cow larynx which I was not loving my life because I'm a vegetarian and I was just really upset about all of the like you know larynx free cows wandering around in the afterlife but it was still very cool it was like I learned loads but the second anatomy day was just I mean they had to drag me out of the lab like I was like the last person in the lab we need to we need to close the lab you have to leave now I'm like but there's so much to learn (laughs) please let me stay I just loved it I thought it was really cool I've always wanted to know what's happening like underneath you know like what's happening inside the engine like what are all the bits and how do they work and what's going on? It's just like the curiosity is just killing me. Like I have to know. <laughs> you see, that's why we need like people like you who have like a, a, a genuine passion for that side of things because it isn't for everyone to dig into it that deeply. So we do need someone to do that. So would you say that, so you came back to Ireland, you set up your, your Instagram page and you probably have a Facebook page as well. I don't really use Facebook, but um, Vocology Ireland. And you wanted to basically share the knowledge that you've learned through that course. I would say that would be the start of it um, in kind of palatable little images and pieces of information and, and uh, descriptions. And it seems to be going down really well with everybody. Yeah, it's kind of, I, I guess if you had asked me when I was in SVI what my plan was when I came back, I mean, I had a plan, but my my plan was vague. I was like, I, I will be happy and I will consider it successful if when I come back, I start teaching in some way to spread this information to people that otherwise wouldn't have been able to access it because they would have had to leave the country. That was kind of my original goal. And, and to also work a bit in the vocal health field and learn a bit more about voice rehab and that kind of stuff. But then the pandemic, you know, happened and plans shifted in in a way that I never could have imagined before but really when I came back I kind of launched straight into teaching and I was consolidating some of my learning and I was doing lots of one-to-one work but I didn't set up my website and I didn't set up everything yet because I was kind of too busy and all that kind of thing and then when the pandemic hit I mean I lost all my students overnight like everybody else did because we couldn't work in person and everything disappeared and I thought right well there's nothing happening and I have a blank slate so I guess you know those people that say, oh, well, if I had the time, I'd do this, this, and this. And I thought, well, Emer, you have the time, so do something. So I, I set something up, but because I couldn't go out and actually teach in, in person, that's when I ended up setting up the Instagram page and trying to do these kind of little Instagram posts and, and images as a way to do bite-sized information. I mean, my goal was always to, to go out and then do workshops and to hopefully one day have it in a curriculum in third level that's actually my 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 little personal goal in Ireland is <laughs> to have some of this information actually in a course so that an institution says this is relevant information that we think singers should learn um which I'm actually doing for the first time in September which is exciting so exciting. one of my little little mini dreams is coming true I'm currently writing my curriculum at the moment which is oh fantastic mad. But yeah, the, the Instagram thing, that was never the plan. It was by accident. And I've never drawn anything in my life. I'm a terrible artist when you give me a, a pencil and a paper. Like, I can't do it. But apparently, the digital art, thats I can do that. <laughs> so that's what I started doing. I started drawing these images and then making them bite-sized little science bits of fun. Because I don't think everyone needs to go into it in the kind of detail that I find fascinating. Ah, oh, not at all. I'm, I don't have that opinion at all. I think if you're interested... By all means, do it. Delve into it. It's fascinating. But I don't think everybody needs to do that. But it's fun to learn little bits about it. So, like, your your aim, what would you say your aim is with this education? What would you say your aim is with your Vocology Ireland page? I guess my aim overall with Vocology Ireland is to make, make it more normal that we talk about vocal health. Adult, in general, that's my kind of overarching thing is I think this should be part of the conversation 
always, not just when things go wrong, but before. And so that we can learn health promotion rather than and prevention of, of issues rather than fixing something once it's already happened. That's kind of our, our overall thing. But I think the way that we get there is by normalizing talking about things like voice science and the fact that there is something happening inside your body that you can't see, that it is the most complex and amazing instrument on the planet. Yes, I'm biased. And to, and to start talking about these things younger and make it more normal because I think one of the reasons that we don't talk about it and this is only my opinion um as an industry is that sometimes I get the feeling that people think if we talk about science or we talk about what's happening in the engine that it somehow affects the art or somehow somehow changes the the end product that like oh well Emer no one's thinking thinking about their formants when they're singing belting out their top note on stage you are absolutely right you're not thinking about your performance. You're thinking about the emotion behind the note. But what about when you're off stage? What about what about all that prep time? Like if sports, amazing sports athletes can have these incredible teams and they learn about the science of their body to optimize performance, why can't singers do it? Is it because they don't understand it? Do you think singers can't wrap their head around this? Because they can and it will help. Yeah, it's like, so like what I always say to my students is, and you're saying it there is, by the time you get to perform the song, you shouldn't be thinking about any of the technical stuff or mm-hmm. technique or anything. All of that should just not, you shouldn't be thinking of that in your mind. You should be thinking about what you're singing about. You should be thinking about performing the song and what the story is you're telling. Like singers are storytellers at the end of the day. That's what you should be thinking about. But the work with the technique and all the voice science stuff and all of that stuff, that's what you do. That's what, that's what practice is for. That's what that time is for. It's like, you know, you might go to dance classes and every week you're learning your dance moves. You're like stretching, you're you're thinking about what you have to do. You're counting out the beats, all of that stuff. All of that stuff is it's very mechanical because that's where you're, when you're learning and practicing and building and stretching and growing. And then when you actually get to perform, then you're just in it. You're there, you're performing. That's what we are, we're performers. Absolutely. And I think when, when people present to me with the argument of, well, you know, too much science will will ruin the art, I would say kind of the opposite because if the goal at the end of the day is to be the storyteller on stage and to be the artist and to create amazing work and to connect with people, don't you want to do that with the most efficient toolbox that you could possibly have? And then how do you how do you add more tools to your toolbox? You understand how your instrument works and how do you understand your instrument works? You have to look inward. You have to talk to other people. You have to understand what's in the engine. You have to understand what your brain does to to help things, but to also really not help things. (laughs) Understand those aspects of it and how we learn. And I think it just opens more doors if we learn about this kind of thing. But I completely hear the the, the reservation from from people when they say, but it's, you know, science and what does maths have to do with it? And, you know, it, it all seems really intimidating and like it's in a different language that I completely hear because it does I think it does seem intimidating and it does some of the words are really off-putting and when you pick up a textbook and it's as dense as principles of voice production I totally understand why you would put that down and think well I didn't I deliberately didn't do science in school because this is what I want to do which is music so why are you telling me this is important to those people I hear you and that's why I'm trying to teach it the way that I'm teaching it now I I think knowledge is power and power gives us more control over what we're doing. But I also can can see how people would have reservations as well because when when we like when we go onto a page like yours or when we read a book like uh, vocology we we're just seeing the science we're just seeing that side of it the vocology side of it and that makes it seem very technical and not very creative and artistic but but that's okay. Like just because, like you're you're like teaching a, um an area that's that's uh, you know anatomical. You're teaching about the anatomy and all of that. The singer, the person who's reading that and learning that, needs to keep in their mind that it's their job to remember the that the creative the creativity and the artistic side goes with that. But you're not necessarily going to mention that when you're talking about the anatomy because you're you're teaching us the anatomy. So you might that I think. Sometimes it's like, I don't, in my, in my um, experience, like when we're learning about the, the vocology, it's just, it's textbook, you know, 
and and often the the art the artistry side of it the the creative side of it the storytelling side of it is not mentioned side by side with it so I think that might kind of scare people in a way but like it's up to the artist to remember that that's that's only besides that it's only one part of it you know you still have to remember that you are the artist and you have to take that knowledge and apply it yeah Um, what I would say as well to the to the person in that situation if you have that kind of thought or you think this is now straight too far from something that I can apply or something that I can understand within my situation. If you're in a, a one-to-one setting with someone, I would always say that. So I, I would always say to the person, be like, listen, this is really interesting and I love what we're learning. How can I tether that back to my daily practice or how can I incorporate that? Or even with, with me when people ask that, because people do sometimes post on, if I put up a post about something like um, the one from this week was a post about the um, muscles of the pharynx. And if somebody comments on that and says, you know, it, like what difference does it make if I know what they're called or I, I know how to name the parts or something like that. I think that's a completely valid comment for somebody to put on things. And I've gotten them in the past on the page where people will say, oh, well, you know, why do I need to know? And the answer, I mean, the short answer is you don't need to know the names of anything. If you don't want to know the names of anything, it's not going to make you a better singer. It's not going to make you a better teacher to know the names of things, but it is going to make you a better teacher to know how they work, where they are, the fact that they exist, the fact that they exist in multiple genres of music and, and you can apply them to different things. So it's, it's kind of also the responsibility of the person who's, who's teaching that to be able to answer that question so it's not, I don't think it's all on the artist to, to, to and it is absolutely on the artist to be able to apply that within their own work. But I think if you can't get the answer from the person who's teaching you the things, also how to apply them, then I'd be like, hmm. Uh, that was actually going to, I was going to actually ask you a question about your post from yesterday. Um, the, that exact question, basically. So a singer, not, not a coach, coaches as well, but like say a singer, how do they how can that information help them in their practice? For example, like if, for example, I'm just thinking out loud, but if, for example, the, is it the middle, far, is it, what, what was it called again? I've written it down here and I've forgotten the name of it. Um, the middle constrictor? The, or the, the constrictor, that's it, mm-hmm. yeah. The, the, say the middle constrictor. What role does that have? And how do we notice that in our bodies, in our voice? Yes, so it's really cool. I'm like, I'm like, <laughs> my, my brain gets all really excited talking about these kind of things. So when I first came across the pharynx, I think it was the original image that I put up about it, which is when you look at that kind of side chopped version of someone's face and you can see the different pharynx areas. I was like, oh, that's nice. There's, you know, a nasopharynx, an oropharynx, a laryngopharynx, which basically means the bit behind your nose, the bit behind your mouth, and then the bit around your, around your larynx. So there's kind of like a top, middle and bottom bit, but I didn't really know what, they did, I guess. I don't know. So, so when I, I did, I was watching this cool lecture by Carrie Obert, who was talking about the pharynx, and she's amazing. If you ever get a chance to to go to a Carrie Obert session, I mean, she is the queen. She's just so good. Like it's, it's incredible. Anytime I'm ever at a lecture that she gives, I'm there's always something new. Like I never get to the end of one of her lectures and think I already knew that. Nope. There's always something new. She will always make you rethink something. And she was doing a lecture about the pharynx. Oh yeah, it was it was the the lecture that she did about she actually was it was a lecture about the piriform sinuses which I didn't talk about in that post but she talked loads about the larynx within or the pharynx within that lecture itself so I kind of thought I actually don't know that much about what muscles there are in there and what they do and what's the story and she 
the reason that I decided to learn a bit more about it is I don't know if this is something that you come across as much within the CCM and, and pop and MT sphere, but within the classical singing sphere, we learn a lot about this open throat idea and making space at the back of the throat and singing with an open throat and imagining that the sound is going out the back of your head and all this kind of thing. And I was, I, I never really did that well with kind of like visual imagery when I was a student. It didn't always make sense to me if they couldn't explain it. So if I was thinking, well, if I am making, like, how am I doing this? I, I was the, the student, the annoying student that needed to know why like what's like I'm not going to take your word for it I, I actually want to know why I'm too curious for my own good so <laughs> that was me and I never got a satisfactory answer from people and even when I went into the voice science sphere people disagreed on this area of the throat so when people talk about twang for example and the use of twang I had a lot of people say oh twang is made by the aryapoglottic sphincter or it's a it's a narrowing in the aryapoglottic sphincter and I was like, first of all, what's the aryapoglottic sphincter? And what's narrowing? And how is it narrowing? And what's happening? And everybody disagreed, depending on who you who you asked. And then in Kerry's lecture, she shows the kind of endoscopic images. She shows a camera, you know, down watching everything that's happening. And she's explaining it as it's happening. And then she goes through the different muscles. And she explained, because this this is where I got stuck, because voice science... I read a lot of posts by people and heard some workshops by people saying there's these pharyngeal constrictors, so these muscles that narrow or that squeeze the pharynx, which is like a flexible muscular tube, otherwise known as your throat. And they started said, oh, well, if they're constrictor muscles, then it can only constrict and release. So there is no such thing as this open throat thing. I was like, oh, so have we just been doing this wrong the whole time? What's happening? And then Kerry was talking about it and she'd say, yes, there are constrictor muscles, but there are also um, longitudinal muscles. So muscles that are going from top to bottom that serve a different purpose to the constrictor ones. So actually there is a possibility to widen things. So it's like, oh, okay. So voice science goes through these different stages where it's kind of arguing with itself, which I love because that's why I find it interesting, <laughs> but it takes a while to get from the scientific bubble down to the teaching bubble and the performing bubble. So what I would say is it's important to know what the muscles are in there so that you can understand when somebody says, don't do this or do this or have an open throat or use your twang. How are you doing that? It's like, what's happening? And for example, kind of blew my mind the first time that I learned that the pharynx goes from the base of your skull down to your esophagus. I was like, first of all, didn't think it was that big. Just thought it was that bit at the back of my mouth. Not going to lie. Like, that's new information. The fact that it constricts, that was new information because I thought that the muscles in there were able to widen because people always talked about this open throat thing. So it's like, oh, so there's muscles in there that go this way, but those particular muscles don't do that. They just constrict and then let go. So it's like, interesting. And also, when you're talking about that mid pharynx, that's the one that we use to create twang and to create that kind of brightening strategy that we have. And if you are interested in that and you want to see it in action, my goodness, Carrie Obert is your woman. She is fabulous. Oh my God. She's amazing. Like she just blows my mind. It's so, and my favorite thing about her lectures actually answers your question because she doesn't just do an image that says this is a superior mid and inferior. She doesn't just do that. She shows you an image that's really easy to interpret because it's colorful then she shows you an endoscopy. She shows you a camera of it in action. Awesome. Then she shows you examples of it in action in different genres. So she'll play something from music theater and classical and something else. And then she demonstrates it herself. So you get these like four different versions of the information. It's so cool. So yeah. I think from, from my experience over the last few years, I've kind of delved into this root of things is the more people you hear it from and with slightly different explanations, not different explanations as in like conflicting uh, explanations, but just slightly different perspectives or ways of explaining things. Like it's kind of like after hearing it four or five times, you're like, oh, something might finally make sense. You know, you're like, now I get what that other person was trying to say. It just, it just didn't resonate with me with the way they were saying it or whatever, you know? So I think it's really important to like, to be open to hear that in lots of different from lots of different people definitely I mean even though that with voice with voice coaching like sometimes you could have been told something by a voice coach 
loads of times like one that you've worked with for years they would have said it so many times and then you go to one masterclass with someone else that you've never met and they basically say the exact same thing but they said it in a slightly different way to your coach and then you arrive back to your coach like oh my goodness I learned this amazing thing at my masterclass and your coach is like for goodness sake I told you that a <laughs> hundred times like I know you told me but I just didn't really get it and now I get it yeah it didn't click that that's funny though and so right so you 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 see the diagrams you know the names of things you might see a video you get the explanation so how do I strengthen my twang muscle how do I do I have to make a sound do I massage it do I stretch how how does it work how do I uh, apply it practically as a singer so I kind of I mean, I guess that answer would probably be different depending on which way that you like learning the most. But with me, the way that I like exploring it the most is by listening to different recordings of it in action and then imitating the sounds that I hear on the recording, which that is not the way for everyone. Like, I would say that. I just think it's really fun. Like, for example, if you were listening to the the example that Kerry included in that lecture, which is from a musical that I really enjoy that some people have told me is a guilty pleasure. And I think I hate the phrase guilty pleasure because that implies that there are good sounds and bad sounds. And that's just not true because all sounds are different and equal and interesting. It's from a musical called Legally Blonde (laughs) based on said awesome movie. It's actually a really good musical. And the, the first song in it is called Oh My God, You Guys. And if you listen to just... Just that song. I mean, the song's about five, five or six minutes long. It's quite long. It's got a whole chorus in it. And there is so much twang on show in that particular song that I think that's a really fun one to experiment with. If you're not used to the feeling of twang, then I think one of the first fun ways to explore it is by hearing hearing a really good example of it and then playing with the sound yourself and seeing what it feels like and just noticing, does it feel different to the way that I usually sound? You know, is it is it a fun thing to explore? What are the feelings? What else do I notice happening? It's also a lot easier to explore it in your higher range because you need. Kerry talks about it more and goes into more detail, but basically, it's it's quite tricky to do. It's kind of not possible to do twang with a really low place larynx. You can do twang in your lower range, absolutely, but you're. It's just the way that the muscles difficult. work. Did you say that's difficult to do it with a low larynx? Yeah, if you have like so, if you so if you lower your larynx, and she has actually a really cool um um video like endoscopic image of a singer who is doing twang on a particular note, and then she asks her to lower her larynx and keep the twang, and she lowers it and then loses the twang once it goes past a certain point. It's just because of how where the muscles are and stuff, but it means that we naturally tap into twang a lot in our higher range. So it's she was talking about how it's the um primary brightening strategy for sopranos particularly in their higher range but it's in all genres so it's not just musical theater but i but i am suggesting the oh my god you guys song because it's just such a great it's just one that stands out example of <laughs> of twang it's also just really fun to imitate yeah i i agree i i like i like i kind of like to mix the way i learn i think i like to mimic but i also like a bit of instruction of like okay, modify the vowel or try and lower your larynx with or try and, I don't know, raise your tongue or whatever, whatever the instruction may be. I like to kind of connect that kind of listening, mimicking instruction thing all together. I think then things start falling into place for me. Yeah, I kind of, I'm, I like to start with, with mimicking things, but then I, I love if you can then make it into a vocal exercise. So if you took something from like for example if it was oh my god you guys that you were listening to then I would take a line from that just a section of like five or six notes and then I would put it on the piano and just move it move it up and down and see what I can do and I'm still at that stage imitating the sound of the person that did it but at some point it stops being an imitation of them and it starts becoming what you can explore in your own voice and then you can kind of change the exercise a bit more to see what happens when you change the vowel and what happens so that kind of thing so it's fun. Yeah. I mean, other people do things like witch, witchy sounds and, you know, like the Wicked Witch of the, what's that movie? The Wizard of Oz. Do you know that? I'll get you my pretty and your little dog too. That like <laughs> twang Yeah, it's really forward kind of, yeah. It's really, and the sensation inside is totally different to, for example, my, my normal speaking voice. But if you were talking to an American 
they might have a totally different speaking voice that has more twang in it because that's just part of their usual speaking voice. But Irish people, I find the first time they do twang are kind of like, what is this sound? <laughs> it's a lot in my face. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I find as well, um, sometimes like students can feel a bit shy about like making the different sounds and stuff. They're kind of like, they feel a bit silly, but like, I think, you know, as a singer, you just have to you just have to go with it and like just trust your coach because you know um they're they're trying to get the best result for you mm-hmm. um question what restrictions or does your anatomy restrict your ability hmm. so does for example the size of your vocal folds affect your range yes so you are born with a particular type of a particular shape of larynx, particular size of larynx. And then once you go through puberty, changes will happen to your larynx. So if you go through an androgenic puberty, so a testosterone influenced one, then your larynx will massively grow in size, as we know from kind of voice change or voice break, which is the, the phrase I don't like using at all. <laughs> but the voice change that you go through in that stage, or if you go through an estrogen um, based puberty, then you also will have changes happen in your larynx, but ultimately you will end up at a particular size because that's just, I mean, it's like I'm six foot and the person next to me could be five foot and that's just yeah. that's what we were you. given. Literally me and you. <laughs> <laughs> and, that, and there's nothing that we can do, but like I can't will myself into getting shorter. It's just not going to happen. I can do exercises with my body to do with flexibility and strength that might increase for example my wingspan or the the strength of my the strength of my arms or how much I can reach for something because I've optimized the use of my muscles and my flexibility but I can't physically get taller and it's the same with with singing so you have a larynx you can optimize the use of the anatomy that you have by doing strength and and conditioning and flexibility work with the instrument so you can improve your ease and range of motions how 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 easily you can travel through your range how many tools you can have in your toolkit in terms of you know acoustic strategies in the different parts of your voice but you will hit a ceiling at some point that is to do with your anatomy and that just is what it is yeah yeah it's like um like the description of your vocal tract like it's like a cave like if you go into a cave and shout something or sing something it's going to vibrate back at at a certain frequency and pitch and shape and texture and all of that but if you go into a different cave, it's going to have a slightly different thing, even if you sing the same note and your vocal tract is like a little mini cave, mm-hmm. except we can manipulate the shape of it ourselves, which is like the fun part of learning about anatomy and about mm-hmm. what the different parts of the vocal tract can do to affect the sound of your voice. Yeah, absolutely. Because I think a, a lot of the times I have gotten this kind of this question about anatomy before and, and a lot of the time we can tend to be larynx focused because that is that is actually the ceiling that we hit i mean your larynx can only do so much but your your filter your vocal tract first of all it is unique like there there is nobody else on the planet that has exactly the same well unless you're like an identical twin oh i wonder if anyone's done a study about that anyway side point there's no one else that has your instrument because nobody else has your face so you have an inbuilt like your default cave <laughs> if you know what I mean so this it's what you start with is the way that your face is normally shaped and then what you learn to do with it can open so many more doors so like you can change the strategy you use so that you can sound classical and you can sing opera and you can use the exact same face to sound like you're singing musical theater and pop and rock and that's why our instrument is so interesting I think but yeah again that's another case of how much practice and how much um, time are you putting into optimizing those different strategies so that you can have more things to try and more ways to use your instrument so in that case I mean I suppose you are limited by your anatomy and that your face is a certain shape so I there's a certain number of combinations that you can do and you're never going to sound like the person next to you who has a totally different face yeah <laughs> but you can optimize what you're given yeah and I feel like even I know I use the word, did I, I think I use the word restrict, but like maybe it's not even a restriction, but it's just like 
the instrument that you have and like we should look at it like that it's just it's a flexible tool you know we can we can we can change it and adapt it and make it stronger and more flexible which is we can absolutely but I totally understand the idea of because because I do get a lot of people asking me about if they're in a a coaching session for example and their their coach or their teacher is trying to get a particular sound out of them and they can't get to the sound either because they haven't understood how the teacher wants you to get there or because the teacher will say when you get there it'll feel like this and they'll describe this really specific feeling in their body of being like no when you hit the sweet spot of that note and it's vibrating where it should you'll feel it vibrate between your eyebrows or something and then the student's like okay so then the student hears between my eyebrows so then they try a whole bunch of things that try and get that vibration between their eyebrows and then it doesn't work for them shock horror because they have a totally different body and anatomy than their voice teacher and sometimes they might make the sound and absolutely get in the sweet spot and then the teacher will go that's it that's the sound did it vibrate between your eyebrows and the student will go god maybe i should tell them it vibrated between my eyebrows because (laughs) it's kind of just appreciating that you have your own body and your own instrument and when you hit those certain points or those certain sweet spots within your sound it'll feel a certain way in your body and that's great you are you are your body and your instrument and it's fabulous it might not necessarily feel the same way as your colleague next to you in choir or as your as your teacher and just being aware that we're all individuals helpful yeah I I feel like like practice is so important with the process of discovering how you make and achieve certain sounds Uh, And trying to be mindful of how it feels in your body, how it sounds, what you did with your mouth, all those things. So like even keeping like a little notebook at at your practice can be really helpful because you might create a sound and go, oh God, I can't remember how I did that the last time. Just like keeping a little log of like your little achievements so that you know, so that if you are in a situation with, with a coach who's trying to help you to help you find that sound but maybe isn't quite nailing nailing it on the head um for you that you can go actually I did this before let me just check my notes let me just remember what I did well how it felt to me so that that because each person's going to have a slightly different description and process I guess because as you said each person is different yeah and what I'd say as well is there isn't a correct way to talk about it like there isn't a correct you know language or terminology so if you're out there and you're thinking like I don't really know the fancy science words for the various things that I'm doing or what do I call my different registers and all this kind of thing like don't worry because what I would tell you is when you put all the voice scientists together in a room they don't agree so don't be worrying about calling something the wrong thing what I would say is a good coach when you arrive in with a description of what it feels like in your body a good coach will be able to remember how you described it and then they will use your language to communicate with you. So as long as it makes sense in your own practice book and it makes sense with what you're feeling, then you're doing great. Don't be worrying about learning the fancy words for things. Yeah, because there is there is that kind of um, period when you're working with a coach where, where where the coach has to get to know you as well and, and figure out like how you work and how you describe things and how things feel to you so there is definitely that process of um of kind of discovery and getting to know with a coach and a singer you know that you just have to be a little bit patient and like you know a coach doesn't know everything but they can absolutely kind of open more options and windows and doors and help guide you in a direction to like discover what you want to achieve yeah absolutely absolutely but it's a two-way process you got to be involved with them you know um absolutely so let's do a little I saw it on your website I thought it might be fun to include in the podcast about a few myths ah so do a little yes. bit of myth busting <laughs> yes so many of so them so Emer, is it bad to eat dairy before I sing <laughs> so with this one I would say for the most part no, it's not going to make any difference. So people always ask me if it creates more mucus, if you have a glass of milk or something before you perform. What I would say is just like we said before, with each person being their own body, you are your own instrument. And if you're telling me I absolutely hate performing after I have a glass of milk, then you do you. Don't have your glass of milk, you're grand. But the science shows that it's not creating any more mucus. It's just the viscosity of the liquid. So how kind of thick the liquid is 
you feel it on the inside of your mouth and you think it's creating lots of phlegm grossness but it's actually not it's just a sensation of that liquid on the way down nothing that you swallow goes anywhere near your vocal cords would that would that um be would, would an exception to that be somebody who actually has been told they're allergic or intolerant to dairy yeah so if you have there is a very small percentage of the world that's allergic to casein i think which is the protein in dairy and if you are one of those people then i would absolutely avoid dairy also if you're one of those people that's been told that dairy exacerbates your reflux or something or or it has another kind of effect on your body that would interfere with your performance then absolutely avoid it but know that you're doing it for your own reasons and not because somebody next to you in choir said you can't be having a bar of chocolate before you go on because it'll give you loads of mucus and then you'll sound terrible yeah excuse me i'll have my bar of chocolate if i want my bar of chocolate (laughs) i love it and like what about caffeine is caffeine bad caffeine Ah, I spent six hours in a in a research hole trying to find the answer to this when I was doing my thesis. Down the my master's because <laughs> I had stopped drinking caffeine for two years because everyone in the singing industry was like, can't have caffeine, it dehydrates the vocal folds. Turns out there is no evidence to suggest that it dehydrates the vocal folds at all. So that's a total myth. So if you're out there and you were like me and you gave up caffeine for two years, you have permission to have caffeine again, but... <laughs> Don't be like me on the day where I found that out. I was like, I'm getting a coffee. <laughs> I got a coffee and I was bouncing off the walls because I yeah, hadn't yeah, had yeah. anything in two years. So I was like, I was like one of those cartoon things running around the place. <laughs> but basically, I would say stick to whatever your usual caffeine intake is. So if you usually have one cup a day or two cups a day, keep doing it. You're absolutely fine. What I wouldn't do is on performance day, down like six espresso shots or something. Because then when I walk on stage, I'll be like, I have the shakes, I'll be freaking out, you know, just stick to whatever your normal intake is and then you'll be fine. And there's one that wasn't on the website, but I'm going to ask you, um, you know, the way when like you're singing, like, and a singer will be like, like, oh, I need to take a drink of water. Mm-hmm. Does that really help? Ah, I love this question because it does help, but not necessarily for the reason that we think it helps. So I think when I was a younger singer, I thought it helped because you know when people are like drink water and hydrate your vocal folds blah 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 actually takes a couple of hours between when you drink the water for it to get to actually hydrating the vocal folds themselves because when we swallow the water it doesn't go anywhere near the vocal folds so the water itself isn't doing anything in particular but the action of swallowing is doing something so when we swallow it kind of brings the vocal folds together and spreads the mucus across the surface of them which means, so it's kind of like, I always think of it like the vocal folds getting a little hug. Aww. <laughs> Such a weird way to think about it, but in my head, I'm like, there's there's breathing, which, which they're like separate from, or separate from each other. Then there's voicing or singing where they're together. Then there's coughing, which is not fun. Because yeah. They're coming together really quite forcefully sometimes. And then there's swallowing, where it's like a gentle little hug, spreads the mucus around, and everything feels fabulous. So I would... I would also be that person. It's like, I just need a quick sip of water, but it's not let me down a liter of water. <laughs> it's let me take little sips, little sipping of water. And then give my vocal folds a little hug. So if you feel like you need to clear your throat, for example, I would take a sip of water and then see if you still need to clear your throat. Yeah. I love that. Cause I don't know, even maybe psychologically, it kind of makes us feel like it's helping. <laughs> yeah. When, the, when we do that, but yeah, it obviously is helping in, in, in um, some ways, like kind of like a little mini hug, as you said, I love that. Yeah. So Emer, is there anything else that you'd like to kind of cover before we finish up? Oh, goodness. I don't know. Come find Have me. Have you anything to promote? If you're not there already. <laughs> yeah. So, Vocal- so it's Vocology Ireland on Instagram and Facebook. Yes, I do have a Facebook page. I'm like you that I'm not on Facebook that often. It's mostly just everything that's on my Instagram gets posted on my Facebook yeah. page. Um, <laughs> I do also have a Twitter that I'm never really on. Mostly I live on Instagram. So if you're listening on this and you're trying to figure out where I am, Instagram is the best place for me. That's at Vocology Ireland. Um, in terms of things to promote, I'm nothing to promote at the moment because all of my projects are super secret. But I, <laughs> I am currently doing a super secret project that... I'm hoping might be on sale at some point soon, but it's in, it's in progress at the moment. So I kind of don't want to say what it is while I'm still doing it, but keep an eye and I will announce everything on my Instagram. And if you have any questions, pop me a DM there. 
Cool. So for anyone who doesn't know Emer and who hasn't come across Vocology Ireland on Instagram or Facebook, um, Emer does a like a I suppose a, a like an event on Facebook on on her on her on her um story every Monday called Anatom Monday. Yeah. Where she she does a, like a little mini bite-sized little piece of information like explains it and does a diagram and all of that it's really 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 nice you should definitely check it out it's really really fun to to learn more about the vocal anatomy Yay, come along and join in I kind of I I draw the posts myself which is which takes me a while because I'm not a natural artiste let's just say visually <laughs> but I pop them up um every Monday when I can and I do about every six weeks I do an another Monday quiz in my stories which I don't put anywhere else so it's not on a website and it's not and it's only there for 24 hours so it's very much a limited time experience but it's a bit of crack you just come along and answer as best you can for they're based on my Anatomy Monday posts so come down the phone. Oh, fantastic thank you so much I love talking to you